what can professional wrestling teach you about life? Well, today we're going to find out and we're going to find out from a former professional wrestler. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. mantra out there that sends a shiver down my spine every time I hear it because it is so sinister because it's cruelty cloaked as kindness. It's one of those personal affirmations that you hear all the time. So you don't pay attention to the message. It's that positive sloganeering background noise of Facebook. The phrase is you're perfect just the way you are. I hate that phrase. Sure, of course, don't dislike yourself. But I think it's important for people to realize that they are a work in progress, that they should always strive to be better tomorrow than they were today to achieve more, to achieve their full potential. And I think if you're one of those people who thinks, actually, no, I'm, I'm fine just how I am, I think you're damning yourself to not being the best version of yourself that you can be. And that's what I want for everybody. So when I hear about someone who's advocating for personal development through personal responsibility and putting in the hard work, boy, I'm ready to listen. And and I'm even more ready to listen when that message is told in a really interesting way, in a way that I find particularly appealing. I'm talking about wrestling. But friends, even if you're not a wrestling fan, I think you're really going to like today's show. I'm talking to BC-based author and former professional wrestler, Ben Nelson Creed. He's the author of a few books, but the one we're talking about today is called 12 Pro Wrestling Rules for Life. I'll include a link in the show notes to the book in case you're interested. It's a take on Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, but it's all done through Ben's fun professional wrestling worldview. So we're talking about that and what inspired the book, but we're also talking about how professional wrestling seems to be surviving woke culture so far, and I might be speaking too soon. And we're also talking about how a former professional wrestler like Ben ended up as a teacher. It's a really interesting story. Take a listen. So joining me now is author, wrestler, and teacher, Ben Nelson. Ben, thanks for coming on the show. We have a mutual friend, my producer of my show. Um, Jesse actually knows you and he sort of suggested that maybe you would be kind of a cool guy to talk to. Now, yeah. you've written a book. Tell me about your book. I've written a book titled 12 Pro Wrestling Rules for Life. Uh, the, the sort of buzzword or the catchphrase being get a headlock on life. Um, but it's a uh, professional wrestling. It's a take on professional wrestling as not just, you know, two guys in spandex beating each other up. 
or two women Hispanics beating each other up, but actually valuable life lessons and valuable life instruction from an art form that really reflects what society is and what culture is, and some pretty impressive, if you look at the track record, values of what wrestlers entail and what they actually bring to the table of the world of entertainment, but also personal life experience. And you're not just a casual wrestling observer fan, 80s wrestling aficionado <laughs> like I am. Yeah. You, yeah. You're an actual wrestler. Tell me a little bit about your, your history uh, as a professional wrestler. Yeah, well, I, I am an 80s aficionado too. I, I think that the, <laughs> the book focuses mostly 80s and 90s because I think that was the golden era. Um, but having said that, I did start wrestling in 1999. So I don't know if, you, if I look like I could still wrestle. I <laughs> haven't wrestled in about three years. And it's not that I'm retired. I just haven't really been interested in doing it. Rick um, Flair just but, came back. There's hope for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is he? 70? 73? Yeah, is old. that what it was? He's old. Yeah. I can always hope. And there was a wrestler <laughs> from Britain, Johnny Saint. And I think he was wrestling well into his 70s. Wrestling, wrestling well, well into his 70s. He was mm-hmm. still an amazing wrestler at 70 years of age. Um, but I trained 1999. And this was pre-internet. I found the Hart Brothers School of Professional Wrestling in Cambridge, Ontario, which actually was founded by a Hart brother who left, but the person behind managed to hang on to the name. And so he broadcasted as a Hart Brothers School of Professional Wrestling. So there were people literally from around the world going into this school. And it turned out to be a big, big con and a big scam. And that's actually what my, my first wrestling book was about. But it was also, you know, best of times. It was the worst of times. It was fantastic. The people that I grew to be friends with from there are still the people that came to my wedding. They're still the people that I talk to on a regular basis. If we have a life crisis, we're still the support group that we grow, um, we're returned to, you know? And so I suppose that's kind of the camaraderie and the the deep value of friendship. And like one of the rules is pick your friends carefully um, or choose your friends carefully. That's one of the values. I think people write off about professional wrestling, which I put into the book. Um, but yeah, I trained out there in 1999 and then I wrestled yeah, maybe six months in Ontario, came back to BC, went back to Ontario, came back to BC, broke my leg really badly, got back into wrestling a few years later, traveled around, had some moderate success. I was getting flown around with the NWA, um, in the United States for a while. And I was wrestling as the, uh, as Nelson Creed. And then after that ended, I was really more interested in pursuing my interests in wrestling and my own persona. And that ties into the book because I wrestled as the battling bard, Nelson Creed. And so I was a Shakespearean aficionado, uh, a thespian. And I would come to the ring with a cape and a book on Shakespeare, which I wrote as well, called What Would Shakespeare Say? And I would try and force people to read the book. And I would call, <laughs> you know, it was ridiculous. But I I'm it. laughing <laughs> because Ezra Levant always forces me to listen to him read Shakespeare when I'm stuck in the car with him. Oh, really? <laughs> all the time. Oh, wow. So I can relate to the psychological terror that you inflicted <laughs> on people. <laughs> yeah. Terror, terror. But people don't, people don't want to take their medicine. You know, that's what right. I would say. You know, you don't know what's good for you kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I'll, well, maybe I'll pin him down and we can read some Shakespeare together sometime <laughs> and do a play. Uh, yeah, that was it. So I wrestled as a battling bard from about 2007 to 2018. And I really enjoyed it. And I felt like that's where I had my most success. And that's what I enjoyed in wrestling the most was just taking something kind of zany, kind of funny, kind of different, mashing it into wrestling and calling it a persona. And, you know, yelling huzzah and calling for encores and all, you know, <laughs> calling people crusty botches of human nature and telling, you know, asking to go crush a cup of wine. Like just all these silly quotes from Shakespeare, throwing them into the ring. And I, I uh, 
I did get my WWE auditions with that. Um, but I feel like the the big rewards I enjoyed doing what I did, and I I, I had a lot of fun at local level. That's where I met, met Jesse, and I feel like the you know you want to stroke our own egos, but I feel like the fans enjoyed it more because it was different. It was kind of stupid, but it was also kind of intelligent, and it was just a different take on pro wrestling. So that's that was my wrestling story. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to uh, convince me. I love local wrestling. <laughs> I love oh, it. <laughs> really? Have oh, you, you the, been? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, have you been to lots of the shows then? And yeah, and I, the, you know, the the Hart family has a new wrestling promotion in Calgary, uh, Dungeon okay. Wrestling, which is great. And the, um, I think it's the RCW. Uh, they do smaller local wrestling promotions, and the cheesier, the, uh-huh. <laughs> the better. The cheesier, the better. Yeah, we've come yeah. to appreciate wrestling for what it is, right? It's, yeah, it's meant to be hammy, but it's yeah. also like there's there's some truth in that ham, right? Yeah, it's, it's funny a, you mentioned. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I, yeah, it's I funny you mentioned that. you mentioned uh, the heart. I I wrestled a lot with actually uh, well, a fair bit with Harry Smith, David Boy Smith's son and tj wilson who was tyson kid in the wwe as well and they're tremendous wrestling family and the passion for the business was always evident right it's always clear with them so yeah now your love of the written word um Mm -hmm. that's not just a wrestling gimmick you're a teacher and so i'm sort of fascinated by the trajectory of someone who is in professional wrestling and then ends up as a teacher how did that happen yeah oh boy uh, I don't know if it was before or after, but I read Tito Santana as a teacher as well. Yeah. You know, he retired from wrestling. He's a, he's a teacher. So, yeah. uh, but for me, it was always, uh, yeah, it was always an interesting passion. And even when I was first uh, wrestling, I wanted to do the battling bar gimmick and I just didn't have the confidence to put it forward, but I've always loved English. And I always thought, you know, um, you, you know, unless you're Ric Flair, you can't wrestle forever, you know? And, <laughs> and so it was the natural thing. I said, well, what was my other passion in life? literature, Shakespeare, uh, writing, reading. And so it was a natural transition. While I was doing my wrestling, I was also completing my education. I went to Simon Fraser in, in Vancouver and completed my, my education, or my English major, philosophy minor, and then a post-diploma program in education there. And it was, eh, it was interesting. It's funny, though. I tried to hide it from students, or I did for a long time, because it was just so distracting. You know, the guys, yeah. well, you were a wrestler. Oh, I was all for it. Let me show you how real it is. And they would just start wrestling and start trying to beat each other up. And it was just such a big can of worms. I loved engaging students with it, but I also, I don't know if this is what I should be telling you because you're going to start trying to wrestle each other in front of me and getting me to grade it. And that's not, like <laughs> a, there's no good outcome, right? There's no good outcome. To, I can I can tell you that I would have acted any differently than, than, <laughs> than those children. Um, yeah. Now, now, you know, before we get into your book, because I'm just mm. I love having a someone who's been on the inside of wrestling, and I get to pick your brain a little bit because I'm sure. always interested in the um, in how this testosterone charged industry, this entertainment, manages to be so resilient so far. To woke culture and uh, the these attacks on masculinity mm. and and traditional masculinity as though it's some sort of toxic influence on society. You don't see it, like you see it or it's creeping hard into hockey lately. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. It, you know, but so far, uh, <sighs> wrestling seems to be not not completely impermeated, but. It's, it's doing well. 
careful what you say. I know, I know. <laughs> are they going to dive on it now or the yeah. social justice warrior is going to attack it? Um, yeah, yeah, I never, uh, I've never noticed that before, but you're, you're, you're right as I think about that. Um, I think part of it, like wrestling did do, did do itself a service in that there were, even back in the day, there were quite a few gay wrestlers, mm-hmm. you know? And so that kind of, I think they've been, like there's a there's a blatant homoeroticism in wrestling to begin with. Yeah, let's and all so, none of us can forget Gold Dust. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Gold Dust or Adrian Adonis, one of my favorites. You right. Know? Um but and then you go like you have, you know, Pat Patterson, I don't know if you know he was mm. he was he was a homosexual too, right? And so I think that there was this thing in the business where it was I don't know, it was kind of like respected and acknowledged, but not. And it was really interesting, too, because I, I was friends with Chris Canyon, who was big in WCW. And, you know, we didn't know that he was I wasn't in WCW. It was just he helped us do a movie uh, back in 99 at the wrestling school. And I didn't know he was gay. And I, and I remember joking about something to do with it. Oh, you know, like someone's not so macho if they do something or, you know, people start to talk and say, well, what would you mean by that? And so I, I wonder, you know, um, so there were I think that the people like that, that we're in the business like canyon rest in peace bless his soul i think that they kind of took a bit of a brunt of it and so the business itself while it hasn't been attacked by world culture i think the business kind of went after itself earlier you know there's orlando jordan and a few other wrestlers who pushed that button hard and also um or pushed the reality out there and i think that probably about mid 90s after gold dust was gone i think that it was sort of realize and especially with canyon you know that it wasn't uh it wasn't fodder homosexuality and stuff wasn't fodder for ridicule you know but that's very different from woke culture and i don't know why woke culture maybe it's because wrestling is a parody of reality already maybe i'm sure we're gonna see a woke culture angle in it and you know there was right uh what was it right to censor way back like nine uh, late 90s right yeah venus and ivory and the good father who was the godfather of the good it was a funny gimmick and they were poking fun of it so maybe i don't know maybe it's the world culture realizes if we make fun of wrestling wrestling will make more fun of us going back i don't know i don't think so but that's a really interesting question i haven't got an answer for why it hasn't happened other than wrestling is just all a huge parody and i'm sure it'll be an angle like after um after Trump won his first election, I don't know if you heard of there was a wrestler and he was, what was he called? But he would come out wearing like a Hillary Clinton singlet or something. He was like <laughs> yeah. the, the leftist wrestler. It was in, it was in southeastern yeah. states, but there was, that was his gimmick. So yeah. maybe it's just, well, it's all. Uh, but, you know, I do have to say this. I do know a local wrestler who used to wrestle in Seattle. And right or wrong, he had Pepe the Frog on his tights. And I think it was right. I think it was sure. right because I believe in free speech and I believe in, well, he's out there playing a persona to sort of make you think about what he's doing. Uh, but it got to the point where people in the in the audience would organize themselves to walk out during his matches as a form of protest against his wrestling and his persona. And I knew the guy and like was a good friend of mine. And, you know, they're always accusing him of being racist and being homophobic. And those are both so completely far from the truth. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he was in Vancouver. He had an Indian girlfriend. He got along with her family fantastically. He really respected their culture. He had a lot of gay friends. He didn't care, but it was just that perception. So I have seen that small scale. I haven't seen it large scale. Yeah, and I hope it, we don't. I hope uh, we don't. Yeah, I yeah. hope we don't either. I yeah. think 
you know, it's it's hard to make some fun of somebody or pick on somebody who picks on themselves. I think maybe mm-hmm. that's part yeah. of it too. And also yeah. this is, uh, it is a performance art, right? Like as much as you see woke culture sort of sneaking in, sneaking in, rushing in like a tsunami into Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, this is kind of the opposite where, um, you know, they they make fun of themselves, but they're also, as you say, it's a bit of an industry based on free speech. You get to be the character you want and your character is over the top. And so I guess mm-hmm. it's it's hard to enforce like certain cultural social rules that everybody think polite that should exist in polite society. It's kind of hard to overlay that onto wrestling. And I hope it, yeah. I hope it never changes. Yeah. Yeah. Wrestling. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hard to overlay it. And it's sort of the function of wrestling. It's a, it's a morality play and it's also a status play. You know, it, it's like, it really is about status and performance and what the perception is. So I don't know. It, I feel like it's going to be done, but it's hard to do it in a way that wrestling wouldn't already poke fun of itself too. And that's, I mean, that's why it is too, because at this stage that, you know, as we've like in the eighties, it was all serious and this is take it real. And then the nineties, they said, well, we're not going to be condescending. And it went through that hardcore phase. And now it's at the point where the wrestling that you used to see small time, local, ridiculous wrestling, like a local wrestler promoter passed away just a couple of weeks back, but he had like, the, the most ridiculous gimmicks you've ever heard. <laughs> the magic dragons, you know, the H- <laughs> and there's these two full guys, fully grown men in these ridiculous cloth dragon costumes. And this was like mid nineties. It was ridiculous, yeah. but that sort of stuff has now reached the highest level of wrestling. And so all the way down, it's okay to make fun of everything and anything. So I think because it's, it's a self-acknowledged farce, maybe it's not getting picked on and maybe it won't be picked on. I don't know. Uh, and I think I think the the heckle culture around uh, <laughs> wrestling uh-huh. sort of makes it hard to be a little bit woke because um, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I was born to heckle. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I love heckling, um, but, uh-huh. you know, I heckle with get it out. The, the deepest <laughs> love. And so you sort of get it out of your system where it's mm-hmm. like you can't say this, you can't say that. You have to behave mm-hmm. and follow all these rules all week long. And then you go to see uh-huh. the wrestling show at the Legion and you're just like. <laughs> letting everybody yeah. have it so maybe yeah. it's that pressure valve that you need yeah. to let off in society yeah it blows off a lot of steam it, yeah it's an interesting mirror too because you know like who you're heckling isn't really the person that <laughs> right. you're heckling a persona not the person so like yeah i don't know if you're playing a role too as a fan i always thought yeah. that was an interesting thing right the fans play a role they're in on it and we're all kind of play acting pretending goofing around but we're having a really good time doing it yeah, yeah so yeah Maybe yeah, that keeps it from being too serious for anyone. I don't know. Yeah, I don't honestly believe that I'm heckling a, a real. Oh, no, uh, we cry when we get a, home. A ruined, real Australian. You ruined, <laughs> ruined my nights. I don't know. People like you have ruined my <laughs> <laughs> weeks, actually. I, you know, like we go home and write down if they say this next time, I'm going to say this. Yeah. We have a list. I <laughs> hope I see her again in your journal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, what to say. Yeah. yeah. I see that black haired broad again yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i, I want to ask you about your book because that's really why i wanted to have you on the show and uh, well, you know you. i i often joke with my friend david menzies who is also a very um strong 80s wrestling aficionado that i could write an entire master's thesis on the role that hacksaw jim duggan played in the cold war <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could yeah. i absolutely oh, could yeah. Um, And his role as a proud American and and being unashamed and all of that, it was at the right time in the right cultural atmosphere 
for mm-hmm. him to be the right guy. And he was not only that, but his look was like regular Joe, average American. Oh, he wasn't juiced yeah. out. Um, yeah. He looked like your uncle who yeah, big <laughs> tough trucker, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so he looked like middle America and he was fighting for Americans at a time when the tensions in the cold war were sort of yeah, America was winning. Although if you ask me now, I would suggest that maybe <laughs> They didn't win. The the Cold War march through our institutions happened while everybody wasn't paying attention. But I I could like I said, I'm here. I'm doing it. I'm pitching it. But but I I could I could make that case. And so I'm always interested to see somebody like you talk. Oh, I hit my microphone. Talk about the values in wrestling um, Uh and how those are important cultural values. So tell me tell me about your book. Okay. Uh, yeah. To address your first point, absolutely you could, because uh, as I've kind of said, wrestling is very much a cultural mirror. And the interesting thing is when I, I think you could also do a, a master's on the fact that when society doesn't have its values, it's tougher to pick out the good guys and bad guys. It's right. tougher to have good wrestling, you know, because it's all, it, it is really tribal, uh, tribalism, right? You cheer mm-hmm. for someone that you think reflects you. And uh, Seth Godin, advertising writer, best uh, bestseller a couple times, he said wrestling is status. So when you're watching two guys wrestle, it's status versus status. So you have to think if someone wins in a wrestling match, like say John Cena wins, what is the status of his persona that makes it better for him to win than to lose? And why are people going to endorse that by coming out watching? There's there's a there's a real and I don't know if it's the leader or the follower, the indicator or the lagging indicator, but it shows something about society. Um, and I, I guess that'd be one thing that is a bit of the, the book, but the my book was is 12 rules for life. I won't go through all the rules, um, but the rules are very essential things. I'll tell you one of my favorite. Like the first rule is work your gimmick. And people think like, you know, in wrestling, everyone's got a gimmick. Hacksaw's gimmick, as you brought up. Big burly guy, ho, oh, tough guy, two by four, working class, roll you over. Not technical, although he could, but he didn't go technical. He just did knock it, bang, drag it out, slug it out, tough guy, right? And that was what the fans of the 80s appreciated. And if you look at the action movies, too, it's like Arnold was big, Stallone was big, Jackie Chan wasn't around. And so they didn't, the wrestlers didn't wrestle like Jackie Chan, which they do now. The wrestlers right. wrestled. Like you would picture Rocky, like Rocky's strategy was all as well. I'll just try harder. I'll, I'll get, just punch uh, him harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll punch him harder. What do you do, Rocky? I'll punch him harder. Yeah. You, just, you, know, you should be dead. Yeah, I'll just punch him harder. Like, so um, <laughs> working your gimmick, right? That was the gimmick. And so a gimmick is, it's not necessarily a, a contrived performance. It's just, what do you think? What do you have that's original in you? What should people know you for? And I think if most people took a long, hard look at what is your gimmick day-to-day? What are you presenting day-to-day? I think most people in the world would identify their values a bit better and identify, wait a minute, do I want to be the guy who yells at people because my coffee is two degrees too cold, or do I want to be seen as the guy who's respectable and approachable and a good person? I think that they would identify more about what makes them themselves and how they want to uh, establish a legacy that is that persona, that person, right? And you, you know, like a Hamlet, you um, we know what we are, not what we may be, right? You try and grow into something. And so wrestling, as I began wrestling as the battling bard, it was really wasn't fleshed out. I had an idea, but as I grew into it and did it more and more, I really recognized in it what persona I wanted to portray for the fans. And so now, as a you know, a teacher and a writer and a father and a, a guy who's a, you know. 
I mean, basically a libertarian, I recognize more and more what it is I want people to recognize me for. And it's affected, it has really affected every aspect of my life, all those aspects. Um, so that was the, the most, well, not the most important, but the primary, um, primary rule, work a gimmick. And I talk about The Undertaker, you know, it's just such a great gimmick. Um, but then my favorite rule probably is, uh, well, you know, <laughs> is, uh, even the odds by any means necessary. That's another favorite rule of mine. Because like Hacksaw. Two by four. How many times did he hit people with a two by four? And he never did it to start the fight. No. But if the things weren't going his way and he was outnumbered, he finished the fight with a two by four. You know, right or wrong. Like Andre got it and the Sheik got it. Um, and then uh, one interesting uh, sort of common thread was I looked at it and said, well, what's the story of David and Goliath? Right. I mean, if David had tried to throw on a big suit of armor and swing a sword around, he would have been mincemeat in no time. And so what did he go to? And this, I did borrow a little bit from uh, Malcolm Gladwell in one of his books, but he went to what was good and he evened the odds by playing to his strengths and working with what worked for him. So he evened the odds by throwing rocks with a sling, which he knew how to do. So play to your strengths, but also even the odds. Like, well, I'm not going to have a good time trying to run headfirst to a giant. Why would I do that? I'll play it to my strengths and work it from my angle where I'm evening the odds by using what I have at hand. So a lot of the, the, the rules I feel all build on each other. And there is a through line in them in that they are all, and they're all reflected in wrestling. Um, if anyone grabs a copy, I would say grab the e-copy for now because I haven't got QR codes in the, in the paperback, but the e-copy goes to the link. So when I'm talking about Hacksaw Jim Nugget, or I'm talking about Jake the Snake, or I'm talking about Steve Austin spraying an entire ring down full of beer, the links are in the e-reader version if you're connected to the Wi-Fi where you can go in and see what I'm talking about. And it just makes it much more uh, a living experience, I find, and more interactive experience. Um, now. Now, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I I said I would oh. only take up 20 minutes of your time and I could talk wrestling forever. Um, well, I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you, you we're talking after you're done a full work day, but um, I wanted to ask you, it, I'll ask you to pick in 2023, okay. if you could mm -hmm. pick one of your wrestling rules that would benefit the mm -hmm. most amount of people in 2023 so that they have a better year. What is that rule? Oh, okay. I have to thumb through the book. This is, okay. I, I got, I've, I need, I feel like I need to just review all the rules because I remember my favorites and I'm already working on a couple new books. Um, it's a good question, right? Pretty good yeah. journalist over here. <laughs> yeah. There's some, the book's so good. I could, no, I could talk about anything. No, what do I, I feel like on a day to day, 2023, like, where are we? You know, what are we doing? Uh, there's so much confusion. It's it's so hard to pick a best. That's a good question because I usually have too much to say and now I can't think of what to say. That's a really good question. So, 2023. So yeah. So what's the rule that Ooh. would help people weed through the confusion of 2023? You know, yeah. I feel like you have to just, uh, maybe I'll, I'll go with two. Okay, sorry, because they, they won after sure. yeah. the rule, I think, 11. Life isn't fair, okay? And I think that we're all seeing that. And, like, when you start talking about the economy and the unaccountability and the frustration that people feel and the things that happen to us, you know, especially if, you know, depending on your political affiliation and the, the bias that you get from people and perspective, I think you have to accept life isn't fair. And you know what? You're just going to have to play with the hand you got. That, that's the honest 
that's the honest truth. That's the end in the beginning. And I think they actually got that quote from the princess bride, you know, the, the book life isn't yeah. fair. It's just better than death. That's all right. I think going into 2023, looking at how everything is panning out and how we all know, you know, they'll deny it, but we all know we're in a recession, right? We all know that we're suffering bad, like inflation is at least 10% probably higher than what they've said. We yeah. all know that. Um, so saying that, you know, life isn't fair. Okay. But what can you do about it? And that's rule number 12. You got to work hard away from the spotlight. And you have to, with lack of better terms, not just pay your dues, but work hard on what makes you better at what you are going to do. Work hard at what is going to lead you to success, as opposed to letting someone else dictate it for you. Like, I mean, be proactive, but work hard, right? Like, I had a very good friend whose career turned into a crazy, most successful, I think, women's wrestler of all time career um but it didn't start out that way it started out with a very bad injury and years off and even when she finally got her we auditions and tryouts and spotlight and spot to be a wrestler she was just getting pushed down and ignored and ignored and repeatedly throughout that three years of her developmental contract there was a matter of okay well what do you do do you give up and ride out and have a good time and party or do you work hard on yourself away from the spotlight and hope and have faith that when you do get your shot, when you do get your chance to leap ahead in the job or, you know, go for the relationship you want or take off and get out of Canada, <laughs> <That's not laughs> thinking, run. that you're ready. When you're ready to run, you run, right? That's it. Be prepared, right? Boy Scouts, but it's still valuable. You know, work hard away from the spotlight, be prepared. And life isn't fair, but no one's going to help you with it, you know, unfortunately. Or no, I should take that back. People will help you with it, but you have to be prepared and you have to accept that your chips, your cards aren't going to be the same as someone else's. So make the best hand of what you got. And really, that's all you can do. Because if you don't do that, you're going to regret it. But if you do your best and it doesn't work, you're not going to regret it the same way. You know, there's there's pride in that. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think those are great pieces of advice. And I think when you start to realize that life isn't fair, but you can make it better through hard work and good choices, you sort of liberate yourself from the resentment that might creep in because you do yeah. see life as unfair and yeah. resentment is a poison. Uh, ben, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Tell people how they can get this book. It's available on Amazon. Just go on to amazon.ca, type in 12 Pro Wrestling Rules for Life. You can type in Ben Nelson Creed. It's in there as well. Uh, I feel like I'm going to share one thing and not in the book, Please. but I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, when I first went to wrestling school, we all knew wrestling wasn't real, but we found out after for sure. Uh, I always think of it this way, and it goes to do with working your gimmick. Life is a work in that there's always a persona you're putting on. You're always trying to do more. And just remember that most people, when you, they're presenting themselves to you, they might be honest, but they're also trying to present something for a... Uh, not an ulterior motive, but for an outcome, right? So if you walk into a room and I don't know you, and you tell me that you're the greatest writer in the history of uh, writing um, screenplays, I don't know you. So I'll take you at face value. So remember, you can, you can present yourself any way you want and people will accept that if you can back it up a bit, you know? So, but I guess that's a, maybe that's a, bit of blather, not necessary. Um, but going back to the book, yeah. Amazon, 12 Pro Wrestling Rules for Life. Uh, it's in there, e-reader version as well as paperback uh, copy. I recommend the e-reader version, um, but paperback copy can be had as well. And I did also write um, another book called You're Going to Hurt Yourself, which was about my time at pro wrestling school in Ontario. 
uh, and my first two years in the business. And it, that was a lot of fun too. That was the first book that I really uh, I leapt on as, yeah, this is cathartic, but also useful for other people. So there. Well, Ben, like I said, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I think you give some good advice to young people, but also just to Canadians in general, people struggling, uh, living through uh, the society that we've been given over the past yeah. three years. I'm trying not to be yeah. melancholy. Um, yeah, right. Trudeau's working a gimmick, people. Just remember that, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy doing his best to put his best foot forward when he walks into a room and until he right. opens his mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to walk the walk and talk the talk. And I don't think he does both of those. So anyways, or either of those probably. No. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> ben, thanks so much. And uh, hopefully we can have you back on the show. Um, to talk about to. your next project. Okay, that's great. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. What a fun interview, right? Uh, this is the letters portion of the show. It's a portion where I invite your viewer feedback. I actually care about what you think about the work that we're doing here at Rebel News because we live or die on your support because we don't take any money from Justin Trudeau like the contaminated corporate media does. It's one of the reasons I give out my email address at this portion of the show. If you have something to say to me, it's Sheila at rebelnews.com. Put gun show letters in the subject line so it's easier for me to find uh, because I do get a lot of emails in a day and it just makes the the ability to search a lot easier. So this letter comes to me from somebody named Glenn, and it's, I think, based on a couple of shows that I did. So I recently interviewed my friend Rick from the National Firearms Association and my friend Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation talking about Trudeau's gun grab. Rick, of course, looks at it through the lens of a gun owner and an advocate for firearms rights. And Chris looks at it definitely through that viewpoint, but also on behalf of Canadian taxpayers who are going to be paid, who are, sorry, going to pay for Trudeau's gun grab because Trudeau is banning guns, forcing people like me to turn them in. And then he says he's going to compensate us for our guns instead of just letting us continue to own our guns that never did anything wrong. It's crazy. Anyway, um, Glenn writes, Hi, Sheila. I'm not sure if you're aware of the most simple shotgun that has only one ever made as a joke is on Trudeau's ban list. Yeah, I did see that. A joke gun made it on the ban list because that's the kind of experts making these gun bans. They don't even know a joke gun from a real gun. This video is from the guy that made it. And wonders how Trudeau even knows about it. And you know what? Let's show the video right here. So, um, this is the Buttmaster. Very famous. It's not really that famous. So, how, and this is why I used to spread my video far and wide, folks. Or at least ask your friends, people in the know. Why on earth does the Canadian government know about an NFA firearm? That's it's. They probably, I mean, looking at their stuff that they've banned... Looks like they went through our NFA registry and banned stuff that's American-made NFA firearms. And uh, as far as I know, NFA the NFA firearm list is kind of restricted. It's uh, well, I always heard it was privileged tax information. So it seems kind of like something's wrong there if a foreign government 
has access to our list of NFA firearms. So do your due diligence. Let me know. What, see what the hell. Or what, what do you think? Let me know in the comments. What? How on earth does Canada know about our NFA firearms? Well, that little video was put on our radar by our new friend, Glenn Took Shearer. Boy, Glenn, I hope I said that right. There's a lot of C's, H's, and S's in your name. <laughs> Who tells me to keep up the good work? Although um, I'm not so sure I did such great work on your name there, Glenn. But I do appreciate the feedback, and that was fun. Well, everybody, thanks so much for watching the show. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, as always, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>